Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with episode 273 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again. We have an absolutely loaded show for you here. It is Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk AEW and NXT, but while plenty happened in NXT, and we will get to that at the end of this episode, man, AEW had a newsworthy Wednesday and has a newsworthy week ahead of it with Revolution coming up on Sunday. Vintage Chris Vanini is here with me. We will be breaking it all down for you momentarily, but I would be remiss if I start any episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast without reminding you that this show is So be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, why they should listen, and why they should subscribe. And a reminder, once again, all five-star reviews get read live here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We do have a loaded uh, bunch of shows going on for the next month. Really, from now through the next month. Getting Over will be coming at you not only with our normal episodes, WWE on Tuesday, AEW and NXT on Thursday, but uh, previews, you know, instant analysis and interviews all leading into Revolution and WrestleMania. So this week, let me give you guys a quick breakdown of the schedule to come. Of course, right now we are talking uh, AEW Revolution. That ultimate preview is coming up momentarily. We're also going to talk about some big AEW news and a surprise new NXT event, NXT Roadblock, that is suddenly going to be on TV next week. On Sunday, 30 minutes before the AEW Revolution pre-show begins, uh, that will be 7 p.m. Eastern, we will have an AEW Revolution preview uh, live on Twitter Spaces. All you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can join in that show. Not only will you hear Chris and I discuss the entire card, along with any last minute developments that happen, you know, off screen or on Rampage Friday, uh, we will also allow you guys to, you know, join in with some questions, thoughts, comments right ahead of that show. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and join us for that live show on Twitter Spaces. Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Of course, as soon as Revolution goes off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast. Now, as far as the next week, we do have WWE Tuesday, AEW and NXT on Thursday. Get ready, get excited. Big stuff coming here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. Now, as far as today's show goes, not going to waste much time, going to get right into it now. Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, how's your week? You know, we don't normally talk twice in the same week. How has your week been going so far? It's been good. Yeah, normally I'm not here on the Thursday show, but uh, I, I do watch AEW pretty much every week. Uh, Dynamite, at least. It, it, hit and miss on Rampage. Um, but I'm telling you, week, Rampage is a tough watch, man. It, it I mean, really so Friday night's tough in general, and if I catch SmackDown, throwing another hour onto it is tough. Sometimes I'll come back and watch it over the weekend or something like that, but... With Revolution here and a loaded card, I wanted to to jump on to talk about it before it happens. Yeah, real quick before we get into AEW, a couple of really interesting, notable WWE items. Literally breaking news just as we came on uh, the podcast here. WWE has decided to shut down the WWE Network in Russia and terminating, terminating all of its broadcast relationships with the country. So obviously the Russia-Ukraine 
war, conflict, whatever you want to call it, atrocity uh, is going on right now over in Europe. And WWE is reacting to that as many companies have. So thumbs up for them on doing that. And Chris, you're also doing something pretty cool this week surrounding um, something for WWE in Texas. Yeah, well, it's WrestleMania week. WWE is going to have a tryout for current and recent college athletes to they're going to try to find you know future wrestlers nil partnerships which they've done uh did in december so uh that week here in dallas they're going to have a two or three day tryout uh, i think i'm going to cover it for the athletics so that'll be a month from now but uh yeah they just they did i kind of broke the news right before we started recording here but i think wwe's announced it as well um so yeah if you always kind of wonder where wwe's going to find their new wrestlers, since they're not going the indie route as much, it's it's a lot of trying to find college athletes like Braun Breaker and, uh, and and turning them into wrestlers. And you also reported this week that that WWE is at the NFL Combine and uh, National Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, so that's pretty cool as well. So clearly, yes. they I mean, look, the people at the NFL Combine they're playing in the NFL, but maybe yes. WWE is looking for future potential, right? G- guys who maybe don't make it. Which guys here would we potentially be interested in? Uh, but yeah, Correct. the combine is a very select uh, invite list, and and those guys are they usually almost all get drafted. So right, think- it, yeah, the, the, there, there's there's actually two combines in Indy for this. There's a lesser one called the National Scouting Combine, which is like smaller school kids who are mm-hmm. likely won't get drafted, and and that's they have they're going to have access like a team there is what they told me, and so that's where you'll probably find more uh, hands on work. So for sure, some well, future wrestlers out of there. Well, enough of WWE that is. This show is not about them. It is indeed about AEW. So the way we're going to break this down, uh, just for any first-time listeners, and of course, people who maybe don't normally listen to this edition of the podcast, uh, we're going to talk about some, certainly this time, big news that happened in the world of AEW, along with everything else that happened across Dynamite and Rampage that doesn't really fit into the Revolution card. That's going to start the show. Then we will move into our AEW Revolution 2022 Ultimate Preview, where we break down every match and storyline along with things that recently happened on TV. And then at the end of today's show, we will talk NXT, everything that happened on on Tuesday night, along with a surprise build to a new show called NXT Roadblock and the build to NXT Stand and Deliver, which is now one month away in Texas. So plenty of show to get to today. And just a reminder, our episode descriptions have timestamps. So if you only want to hear about NXT, or if you're listening to this show, uh, you know, the day of Sunday, right before Revolution, you just want to hear the instant analysis. There are timestamps in our descriptions so you can jump around to whatever segment you want to hear. But Chris, AEW, as I've said now two or three times, has some big news that dropped on Wednesday. In fact, we might as well call it the main event segment of this show. And that is Tony Khan opening Dynamite by announcing that he personally has purchased Ring of Honor. Now, this was promoted as a big or huge or major announcement. So when Tony Khan does that, when AEW does that, the question always is, does the announcement follow through to the promotion? (laughs) And I think we're probably at like 40% of the time it does, maybe. This to me fulfills Big, huge, and major. Uh, he was in the ring. He fumbled around with his words a little bit. He eventually got around to announcing that he purchased Ring of Honor. He also made a really fun comment that there's no Shane popping out for a <laughs> swerve. What he really should have said is that the name on the contract says Khan. It does not say Nick Khan. 
it yeah. says Tony Khan. That would have been a lot funnier given the circumstances. Uh, but this is certainly a really interesting development. Uh, so Ring of Honor, for those who don't know, for a long time was that number two slash three promotion kind of exchanging back and forth with TNA and Impact behind WWE. It's where a number of major WWE superstars that you watch today or were watching previously, CM Punk, uh, Brian Danielson, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins. I mean, and and that's just a a very small number, Adam Cole, etc. All came from Ring of Honor. So where they stand now, though, coming out of the pandemic, uh, they paid their all their wrestlers, uh, but didn't run shows. They lost a exorbitant amount of money, and they basically decided to reimagine their company. They released all of their talent and canceled all of their events for a I don't even know what the period of time is, but six or nine months until April 1st. They were supposed to have events. They have events scheduled in April for Ring of Honor to return. But they have no one under contract, even though they have championships and people who hold those championships and defend them at other organizations' shows. They also, because it is owned by or was owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, they still have syndication across the the country right now. So what's really left of Ring of Honor are its championships, its branding, all of its intellectual property, and most importantly for AEW and Tony Khan, a stacked video catalog that dates back a long time and features a ton of major names. Obviously, many people currently in AEW, but also a ton of people still in WWE that, you know, I would be very interested in watching an an old uh, Tyler Black, which was Seth Rollins' old name against Kevin Steen match. Like, I want to see that. I'm not going to be able to watch that now on Peacock. I'm going to have to go whatever with AEW does. So I presume... Uh, given that there weren't many details aside from Khan buying all those things I just mentioned, along with production equipment, rings, all that type of stuff, I presume this is all going to be part of AEW landing a streaming deal with somewhere like an HBO Max or an Amazon Prime, something like that. Khan, my guess, is figured he could go and spend however much, $20 million, $30 million for the library and probably get a similar deal from a streamer where he's able to recoup that money in a very short period of time. And then whenever he extends that deal, be in the profit, be in the green, be in the black, I guess is what they actually call it. So that is my take really on the situation. I think that it's a strong move by Con. It's probably a, a really good move, given that the ROH library, at least when you're talking about United States wrestling, is the only one out there that's really still attainable that that means something. I mean, yeah, I guess Impact has its library and it would probably make a little bit more sense for WWE to buy that than anywhere else, but they're not selling because they are still in existence and they're still running wrestling. It does take Ring of Honor out of the professional wrestling business in terms of being a company that has significant financial backing that could be a competitor to WWE Um AEW and to a much lesser extent, Impact and GCW. But given the state of Ring of Honor, given the fact that it has lost all of its juice from really just a few years ago, to me, I think this is a move that made sense for both parties. And again, I think Khan delivered on his major announcement. Yeah, I I thought it was going to be a streaming announcement, you know, when it was coming, because I think the day before uh, Warner Media had 
signed a new signed a deal with the U.S. men's and women's soccer teams mm-hmm. uh, to put a bunch of games on TNT and TBS, but also put every game on HBO Max. And that's the first time we've seen HBO Max move into sports. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, hey, maybe AEW is going to go to HBO Max now. That hasn't happened. We don't actually know if Warner Media has, uh, I guess, AEW streaming rights. I, I, I don't know if I don't know the deep because those, those are different than broadcast rights. So Correct. Yeah. I, I, so I don't know where that is. But with Ring of Honor, my first reaction was, okay, so this company isn't coming back, which was a bit of a letdown because. That's just that's one fewer wrestling company out there. That's fewer wrestling jobs. I mean, the company had been gone for several months now. Maybe it was never going to come back. But this was basically like it's not coming back. You know, AEW's the number two. Impact's probably your number three, and then you kind of go from there. It's it's basically done. But it is a smart business move, like you said. I'm surprised that WWE didn't buy the library, or maybe it tried. I I don't know. Um, Well, I I can I can answer. It's a valuable yeah. I can answer that because I think a lot of people have that same thought. It's like, well, it's a drop in the bucket for WWE. So why don't they do it? Here's why. Because WWE signed, I don't know, I forgot how many years it was. I want to say five, but a $1 billion deal with Peacock. Yes. To, for their catalog and all of their content that is continuing to grow. But they have a massive back catalog with a ton of old wrestling and WCW mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. ECW. So... If WWE went ahead and acquired this and spent $30 million, by the way, don't forget a company that is trying to cut expenses, right? And and increase profits. But if they go and spend $30 million and they go to Peacock and they go, hey, Peacock, we just bought the Ring of Honor library. Peacock's going to go, okay, great. Good for you. They're not going to increase their money that they're paying them. They're not going to increase the value of the contract. They're not, when they sign a new contract, it's not going to make the new contract more valuable because it's still a massive amount of content. Peacock has the WWE brand. They also have the WCW brand underneath that, not to mention old NWA stuff and and so on, all those old territories. So it's not, it's a content ad for WWE and Peacock. It would have been. It's not a value ad. For AEW, this is far more valuable because it gives a young company enough content to actually go and get a streaming deal. Whereas HBO Max may have said to them or, or Amazon or whoever they're negotiating with may have said, you have three years of TV shows and you want how much, how many millions from us for that? That's not going to work. Now they have, well, you have a 20 year backlog of wrestling plus three years of TV shows and pay-per-views. Okay, now we're talking, let's go work on a deal. Well, well That's yes. the difference. Yes, but also the other part is with the streaming and we don't know how it's going to go. Obviously it depends where it is. But you, like like with the with the soccer, those games will be simulcast on streaming as well as being on TV. And I, I, I would would AW be in a spot where it could be streaming live on somebody else that's not Warner Media? I don't know. I, I don't think know. it would stream. I don't right. think. No, I don't think it would stream live. I think I think. No, the, but in terms of what you can in terms of selling yourself to a streaming service, the possibility of being able to have the live wrestling, whether it's a pay-per-view, whether it's a show, is part on top of the small AW library. Yes, so. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, live streaming, TBS and TNT and Turner have exclusive rights to those show first run. So yes. if, if they wanted to do something where they also streamed them on HBO Max, for example, they'd probably be biting off their own feet because it would hurt their ratings to have it available. Yeah, I don't know, stream- but you, I mean, you, can stream, you can stream it on TNT 
website. Right. Like, that's what I'm saying. Moment. So I don't think, yeah. I don't think we're really talking about live streaming of that where, where this could all yeah. become interesting is if AEW, instead of being on the Bleacher Report app, allows you to purchase pay-per-views through HBO Max, similar to what Showtime right. is doing with I, Bellator yeah. and with boxing. Um, if they allow you to start purchasing pay-per-views, they, they, Sunset yeah. the Bleacher it's, Report app, yeah. or they use it's it for weird that they reasons. haven't. It's weird they haven't done that yet. Like they yeah. had BR and BR Live, and they got rid of BR Live, I think, and now it's just on BR. But yeah, I like I'm kind of surprised still they haven't moved sports over to HBO Max. Maybe maybe it's something they're working. Well, this is probably because they, they have it. the because they have NHL streaming rights too. Warner Media does, but they don't they don't stream that at all right now. So. Yeah, well, that's also a new acquisition, so I'm sure all of this is kind of yeah. just coming, you know, getting worked up together, but. The, the, the larger point is that, look, this purchase was made, and we'll talk about the wrestling ramifications momentarily before we, before we move on, because we really don't know what's happening. It's all speculation at this point. But the move, the move to acquire Ring of Honor, the number one reason was not so they could run shows on a separate brand or right. for nostalgia or whatever. The number one reason was to have enough content to get a streaming deal. And that brings a lot more money into AEW. It helps finance the company. And it creates a situation where it can pay wrestlers, continue to pay wrestlers what it is currently paying wrestlers. Because let's be honest, the staff and the roster right now is enormous and they are paying a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, But they, there was also a report, I believe it was in the Wrestling Observer a week ago, two weeks ago or so, that AEW is in a, a, a spot right now where it cannot keep adding big name, expensive talent along the lines of a CM Punk, a Brian Danielson, you know, re-signing Kenny Omega, things like that, if it does not, or until it gets a new TV deal. And as of right now, a new TV deal from Turner may not necessarily be worth more than the current deal is because they just renegotiated it like a year, year and a half ago, something like that. So the point is AEW needed another significant area where income was coming in, another stream of revenue and a streaming deal would obviously bring that in. That that made this purchase notable. Again, it's also notable. Tony Khan bought this under his name. He did not buy it under AEW. So he is the 100% owner of this Ring of Honor stuff. Whereas with AEW, Tony manages everything, but the ownership is in the Khan family. It's Tony and Shahid Khan. So it's both of them. So all of that is interesting. Now, as far as the wrestling perspective, you know, there's been speculation already about, well, could AEW use Ring of Honor as its NXT? Could it, uh, you know, is it a place where they can put all the wrestlers that they have under contract that they don't regularly use on television? I look at that and I say, well, they have AEW Dark and Elevation already. If Ring of Honor, if part of this negotiation and deal was that Ring of Honor slash AEW would take over all of that syndication that Ring of Honor had, then maybe there's something to be said for like not stopping dark and elevation or maybe stopping one of them and then combining the other show with something else, making it ring of honor and putting it on syndicated TV. You're getting more potential viewers and, you know, maybe that helps, you know, the company and maybe it's no cost syndication as well, given it's part of the deal. If they do that, I don't know the specifics. No one knows the specifics at this time, but what I can tell you is Tony Khan as an individual, is extended thinner than probably anyone else that I've ever encountered from afar in my life. I mean, he is he has significant responsibilities for two major sports franchises. He's the owner of AEW. He has a, t- a couple other businesses that he handles. And now he has just bought Ring of Honor. So it's one thing 
If you want to manage one wrestling promotion, okay. I mean, it's already pretty ridiculous. But if he's gonna, if they're gonna start booking two separate brands, for me, I just do not see how that is sustainable. So my hope is they use Ring of Honor more for nostalgia than anything else. I am not on board with it being their NXT or them running additional syndicated shows. Maybe it's also just me as a fan not wanting to watch or being forced to watch additional wrestling from the <laughs> 50 hours that we already watch per week. But I, I just don't think that would necessarily be the smartest idea. Yeah, I, I doubt they're going to make a separate one. And, and he he bought Ring of Honor from Sinclair. So I don't think it has that syndication anymore because Sinclair also partnered with uh, wow, the women of wrestling or whatever that, that new thing is with mm-hmm. Genie Bus and stuff like that. So so I, I think it's completely off of Sinclair, which is why I think it's probably just for nostalgia and for the library and to, to make references, to use the video and highlight packages and stuff like that. Um, what I would love to see, which they probably won't do, but I'd love to see, because uh, c- I'm, I'm always a big fan of these things, a Ring of Honor invasion. AEW, and you get people like the Young Bucks having to pick a side or something like that, or not maybe not the Young Bucks, but but like Adam Cole or something like that. Uh, you know, like you know, the WCW WWE invasion gets gets uh, ripped a lot. I didn't mind it. I enjoyed it at the time because I didn't really know what WCW was when I was a kid. Uh, th- a few years ago, GCW did an invasion of Impact. And it was like obviously such a, a low tier thing, but like I enjoyed it. I just enjoy that. Like, like we like faction warfare. It's like faction warfare on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. So I would love, I would love some sort of uh, invasion if they can work it out. Oh, I mean, when ECW did that invasion of WWE before WWE owned it, I mean that was exciting. The WCW invasion was a failure. Not that it wasn't entertaining at all. There were many moments and parts of it that were very good, but they didn't have any of the major stars because of the contracts that right. WWE signed them to. They were getting guaranteed money. So they just didn't need to come and, and wrestle And WWE was not going to buy them out and then sign them to new contracts to come in. So that thing, that whole situation didn't really work. And what's interesting here is no one is under ROH contract. So right. they would really be forming it themselves and figuring out how they wanted to do it if they did eventually do it. As you could as, you could take a you could take a lot of them from again you could take a lot of them from the current roster. Oh no, you could. Yeah, there's like 40 people on the AEW roster who were yeah. previously in Ring of Honor, so you could easily do that. Um, Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17 he wrote in. So are we going to get an invasion angle between ROH and AEW? <laughs> Tony has been hinting at a major storyline starting either at the end of Revolution or the Dynamite after. Also, what's the likelihood the contract thing has been a work from the start, which is leading to Cody returning? to lead the ROH invasion. So, okay, really quick. You already <laughs> talked about the invasion in general. Uh, Tony did not hint at a major storyline starting. He just said new storylines would start, which no shit. Every time you finish a major pay-per-view, especially when you only do four a year, new storylines are going to start after that. I mean, there's a number of storylines entering Revolution that need to come to an end. Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, um, CM Punk and MJF, Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston, etc. So, that's not much of a surprise. In terms of the Cody question, I just feel like a lot of people have brought it up and been asking. I don't think they all would have used the terminology they did when separating and some of the stuff would have come out that did if this was all a work from the very beginning. Also, Cody, you want to talk about like someone who really doesn't have a connection to a place? Yeah, was he in Ring of Honor? Sure, he was in Ring of Honor less time than he was in AEW, which he was in less time than he was in WWE. So 
would that work? I mean, I guess they could probably put it together. What I am more excited about, if they were to do something with Ring of Honor, they could get super creative. Samoa Joe is out there as a free agent. You're talking about a Ring of Honor legend. You could do something with Samoa Joe leading an invasion or a storyline. Um, William Regal is out there. He doesn't really have connections to Ring of Honor, but if you wanted to put it under someone else's stewardship, he's the type of person who you would do that with. So I do think AEW can get creative with this if they want, but you know, I'm just being candid kind of going into the whole thing. When I was in, back in the 90s during the Attitude Era and the war with WCW, I was a WWE fan, but I knew everything that was going on with WCW. Here, I'm an AEW fan. I, you know, I watch the product every week. I've never, ever watched Ring of Honor. Like, I, I've definitely caught a pay-per-view and I've seen some matches before, but I have, I don't know a, basically a single storyline that's ever happened in Ring of Honor. So if they do bring that over to, to the product, some of the AEW diehards that watched Ring of Honor and have followed the elite all the way the, from when they were the Bullet Club and the whole deal, they'll get really excited and I'm happy for them. But for me, as a viewer, it doesn't mean much to me just because it was not part of my wrestling life. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I, I'm the same way. I got out of wrestling, honestly, right at the end of the invasion angle. I I was in middle school. I started getting into other sports. And I just I was out of WWE until 20 until about Raw 1000, basically. So I basically missed the entire golden era of Ring of Honor. I heard about it. I learned about it through CM Punk and, and Dan and Brian and stuff like that. So I, you're right. I, I don't have that emotional connection and neither of us do, but clearly a lot of people do. And that's mm -hmm. important. It got a very big reaction, you know, on dynamite. So yep. um, it, it, it is a big deal to a lot of people that AW has this and, and can do some things with it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Me, me personally, I, don't, I just, I don't have that connection either. All right, let's put a pin in this now. And as more news develops, as things happen, we will discuss it here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Quickly, before we get into the AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview, a bunch of stuff that happened across Dynamite and Rampage that doesn't really directly impact the show. So let's get to that. I'll read it, you know, my, my notes and my thoughts. Chris, if you have something to say, jump in. If not, we'll move on. On Dynamite, there was a tremendous, I thought, House of Black vignette. Not really much to describe, but the aesthetics of it the way all three guys were presented, the way they all got to speak, I was just pretty impressed with the whole the way the whole thing looked. Yeah, no, that was really good. Uh, but Buddy Matthews' first appearance in one of these, um, I'm more interested in now in it now than I, I had been for a while. Yes, I was not really interested in just the Kings of the Black Throne. Like Malachi Black on his own was more interesting to me than the duo. But as a trio, yes, I agree. I'm more interested mm -hmm. in them now. On Rampage, QT Marshall talks some shit, calling out Hook. When Hook came out, he took down a bunch of factory guys that attacked him. Then Hook just left. I, I don't think it was good or bad. It just happened. Uh, on Rampage, Dan Lambert said he demanded that Scorpio Sky get a TNT title shot. Let's not forget, not that long ago, he demanded Ethan Page get one. Lambert said Sky would definitely get his opportunity before the winner of the Face of the Revolution ladder match at Rampage. I still just don't understand, Chris, why both members of a tag team so badly want a singles title when we never see them fight singles matches or rarely see them fight singles matches on television. And there's a tag team title that exists that's ready and waiting for them to try and win. Everything they are doing with these two guys and the continued involvement of Dan Lambert to me is just an absolute shame. Were, were they even in the either of the tag team battle royals? No, no. 
Yeah. Just why not? Strange. Why are they not in? Why am I getting ass boys in this match again when they could be in it? Yeah, they're. I mean, again, like they're they're really talented guys. I just I, they've just been floating out there doing nothing for months now. I just yeah, I, it's, it was weird. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, all right, let's do a double dose of Wardlow here on Rampage. We had Wardlow against Nick Camarado. This was definitely a meat slapper. I mean, let's not even let's not even front on it, you know? Yeah. Big meaty man slapping meat. Camarado tried to counter the powerbomb, but Wardlow countered back and then hit four for the win. Aaron Solo tried to jump on him for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Wardlow caught him. Sean Spears then hit uh, Solo with a chair, but while he did that, he hit like Wardlow's fingers. Spears said the Powerbomb Symphony is not getting over. I wish I could have cut the audio clip of this, but I could not find it online. It would have been a great sound drop for the show, but he said it's not getting over and he should just go for easy wins. He doesn't need to do all the Powerbombs. Spears said no more Powerbombs, but Wardlow has a ton of potential and they're all so proud of him. And then he hugged Wardlow. I thought this on Rampage was the best of all of these Wardlow showcases that we've gotten so far. The match and promo were both strong. I, like I said, I couldn't get that clip. That pissed me off. If anyone has that clipped up, please send it in. I will add it as a sound drop to the show. Chris, I think you recently sent me something I needed to add as a sound drop to the show as well. I will get to that also. Uh, and then on Dynamite, uh, Wardlow fought Cesar Bononi. Wardlow won with three power bombs in like seriously 30 seconds. Spears went for a chair shot, but Wardlow grabbed it and got in his face. Backstage, MJF said he let Wardlow keep the TNT title if he wins the ladder match and then beat Sammy, which is a new development. MJF then, like as he was walking away, let out a snide comment that Wardlow wouldn't win it anyway. Wardlow answered back, so MJF slapped him and reminded him he's MJF's employee, not AEW's employee. Now, Wardlow, I've been saying it for a long, long, long time. This guy definitely has it. But I'm excited for him to finally be in a real match. Not that he hasn't ever been before. He obviously was with Cody, and I think he was with CM Punk as well. Yes, he was. Um, But... I'm excited for him to just not be in this squash showcase on television. I want to see this guy actually go at it. The backstage segment was a good piece of business. The Camarado match was at least interesting because it was a meat slapping extravaganza. So I'm all in on Wardlow. They've done a really good job building him for this pay-per-view. And I thought both of these segments were really strong on Friday and Wednesday. Yeah, it's 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 exciting that they seem to be taking another pretty big step forward in that right as the MJF Punk match is coming. Yeah, it's been a lot of squashes. I'm kind of surprised they haven't given them longer matches, but hey, the crowd still pops for the power bombs and everything like that. So it's it's been working. And this has been such a slow burn that it's interesting that these two things are now coming to a head, like I said. More than ever now, we're wondering, hey, is Wardlow about to turn on MJF? Right as MJF has one of arguably the biggest match of his career. So mm-hmm. it, it's it, it, it's been great. It, it's been slow, but they've gotten it to a point now where this is in the back of your mind with that other match. And there's kind of just two things going on here. And I'm excited to see if and when they collide. And it feels like it's closer than ever. So. Yeah, it's been good. The backstage stuff was great. It does feel like the right time to pull the trigger on Wardlow MJF because you're going to have MJF coming out of the Punk feud, win or lose. It seems like he's not in line to be the next challenger for the AEW championship. So you need that. What is next for MJF? This slot would slot in extremely nice in that role. The only other way you could do it, and this is probably what I would do, is I would book it, honestly, for another year out. I would have MJF win the title 
And then Wally's champion, eventually a couple months down the line, Wardlow is the one who turns on him. And then Wardlow ultimately beats MJF for the title. But you're talking about another nine to 12 months to get there. And I right. don't even know if that's even in their plans. I don't think it is. So. I like that idea. I, I, I mean, because, you know, MJF's got to get the title at some point here. But uh, yeah, well, we'll see. All right. Uh, on Dynamite, Starks and Hobbs again interrupted a Keith Lee promo. Um, Starks basically threatened Lee, who will have a tune-up match on Rampage Friday. He does a really funny impression of Keith Lee, the way he speaks. That's really <laughs> my only takeaway from this. Uh, my other takeaway was, man, I want to see Keith Lee and Will Hobbs yeah. <laughs> in a ring. I want to see big meaty men slapping meteor. Yeah, that is that is real. No bread, no water, just meat. Yeah, for that, sure. That that is that is that is one of the meatiest. That that would be that could be big meaty moment of the year if it happens. It would have a a chance for sure. Do we we have one though? Oh, it was uh, Lesnar Lashley, right? Is that what we said? It w- or was it something it, that came after that? Was it day one? Lesnar Lashley Biggie. No, but I thought. I'm going to have to go back into the archives. There were two things that one we said was big meaty moment of the year and would be almost impossible to top. And then I I thought maybe my memory is failing me that something happened like a couple days after it that we said that's even more meatier. So I'll have to go back and think about that. But those, I mean, this would start approaching it in terms of rivalry. Keith Lee, by the way, and Wardlow would also be up there too. That would be fantastic. So uh, let's hope we get those matches sooner than later. On Rampage, we had Serena Deeb against, I think her name was Michaela Sparks. Deeb dominated and won with the single leg uh, crab in about three minutes. This was the only women's match on the show. I get the gimmick. It sucks. It should be on Dark, not television. On Dynamite, uh, Chris Statlander and Layla Hirsch did the taped back and forth promos where they somehow know what each other is saying, even though it's taped. I actually really liked Layla Hirsch's part. She was very believable, but you know I hate these in general. Uh, and they didn't really set up a match. Like they didn't say, okay, yeah, let's fight Wednesday or Friday or, or whenever. It was just a very general, like, we still hate each other type of promo, which was weird. Uh, do you have anything on those before we move on? Didn't have any real thoughts other than the next time we see Layla Hirsch. I'm curious if the Russian background that she has will be de-emphasized at all. I, I don't know because of what's going on. Just I was just curious, but we didn't, all, all we got is a promo and uh, kind of was what it was. Didn't really have any thoughts. You're right. That is that is an interesting uh, thing. They certainly didn't mention it in this promo. So, that, that you know, it was good that they stayed away from it there. Yeah. So with all of that out of the way, uh, let's get to this AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview, where we are going to break down all, I believe, nine matches on the card, along with everything that happened on Dynamite and Rampage leading into them. What we're going to do is we're going to start with the low card. We're going to move all the way to the main event. It's basically the opposite of what we do for our instant analysis, where we start with the big matches, the main event matches, and work our way down the card. By the way, a reminder that is Sunday, as soon as Revolution goes off the air. But right now, we're in the ultimate preview. And let's start with, Chris, for me, there's two matches that should not be on this show, straight up, okay? The first of them is the TBS title, Jade Cargill versus Ty Conti. There's basically no storyline. There's no chance that Conti is going to beat Cargill. Cargill doesn't even have good matches on TV when she's on TV. I mean, if they put this on the buy-in, I guess I'd be okay with it. Just get it out of the way. It shouldn't be on the card. Jade is going to win. I don't know what else there is to say. Yeah, not, not much to say. I, I, I like Jade, I think, more than a lot of people do. Um, kind of, mostly just kind of curious if this is a good match or not. But yeah, obviously the pick is... Uh, Pick is Jade without a doubt. I don't also, dislike, I, I, I don't I, dislike I also, her, but 
she's been wrestling for like two years now and it's still super green. They put a title on her. She doesn't really have good matches. It, it, the promos yeah, are all it, repetitive. It's just like, I don't get it. Yeah, she honestly, she she would be, she's someone, and I know she talked about this in the past, but she'd be perfect for WWE for a lot a lot of reasons. But if she could wrestle. It's, 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 it's just, obviously, she's not going there. She talked about that on podcast. I, I, something I haven't said because I haven't done this pod, I love the design of the TBS championship. I think it looks better than, I think it might be their best or second best looking championship. I don't know why, it just, I think it looks great. Just wanted to add. I that. mean, it's very similar to the TNT. The the, the current TNT one. The, the, I think it looks a lot better than the TNT. See, I think I think they're pretty much equal for me. At least as far as I'm concerned. I, I I don't like the TBS logo. I like the TNT logo for the channel better. So therefore, I like the, <sighs> the TNT better. logo is so plain, though. It's just straight sans serif font. And it's, it's the most boring font in a circle. TBS logo is at least a little bit different. Yeah, I don't know. Not Not for me. Not for me, at least. The other match that... Again, just for me, I really don't think should be on this card is Darby Allen Sting and Sammy Guevara against Andre El Idolo, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy. That's all going to be inside a tornado match. So a six-man tornado match. Let's discuss kind of the lead up to this. On Rampage, we had Sammy fight Andrade for the TNT Championship. Sammy caught Andrade with a Spanish fly for a one count, later hit a tornado. Andrade answered with a jumping DDT over the top rope onto the apron. Guevara followed with an avalanche Spanish fly. The match was on fire. And then suddenly, it just completely fell off a cliff. Hardy jumped onto the ring apron, removed a turnbuckle pad. Then he pushed Andrade's foot off the bottom rope during a pin attempt when he should have been helping him. That didn't make sense. It was clunky. Andrade tried an avalanche hammerlock DDT. Sammy kicked his legs out. So Andrade's face hit the exposed turnbuckle. And then Sammy followed with a double springboard cutter which is not even his finisher, for the win. Then we got the typical AEW post-match attack and save with everyone in the pay-per-view match. I thought it was a really good fight. It was on the verge of getting a high grade for me before the win got completely taken out of the sails. It ended up being just a spot fest early, and Andrade getting beaten again was obviously disappointing. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus, but it just felt to me like this match and something that we're going to talk about in a little bit would have been better served on the Revolution card. Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely more than more than the tag team match that they're doing. I, I definitely agree with that because yeah, we don't have a TNT championship match on, on, on the card. It's kind of weird to throw them in a six man tag. So yeah, I agree. It's especially weird because they announced a triple threat for the TNT title on Friday with Sammy Andrade and Darby. First of all, Andrade just lost a title match. Clean, by the way. So why is he getting another opportunity? That's very WWE. Secondly, why the hell is this match on Rampage when they could have put the six-man on Rampage and the triple threat for a title on the pay-per-view for Revolution? For me, they just completely botched this and picked the wrong match for the pay-per-view. So sometimes, you know, it feels like sometimes with their pay-per-views, because they have so few of them, they try to get everybody on or as many people as they can. So we get a three-way tag team match. We get a uh, we get a big ladder match. We get a six-man tornado match. It's just it just seems like something they do uh, at these pay-per-views because they want to try to get everybody on there. And and I get it. I just I just think you could have you could take Sammy out of this and do some sort of singles match where they maybe have the best match of the night. Throw somebody else into a six-man tag because this 
it's the tag match means nothing. There's no stakes. There's nothing right. on the line. So put somebody else in there. Give Sammy his own match. It really just felt like a way to get Sting on the show. That's what I believe. They just wanted a way to get Sting on the card and yeah. on the poster and all that type of stuff. Uh, as far as predictions for this match, I think the faces win. Uh, Darby, Sting, and Sammy. There's three different people who could get the fall. You look at the other team, it's really just Andrade. So for me, the faces win. I don't even think it's a question. Yep, I think it's the faces win. Also, we're like nine months into Andrade being an AEW, and he is he's nothing here. Yeah, he's nothing. It's too bad. Yep, that's true. All right, let's move on to all the matches that, at least for me, I actually care about, and I am fully, deeply into. Uh, let's start with Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston on Dynamite. Jericho cut a backstage promo that was basically identical in content to what he said last week. The only thing he added was that Jericho promised he would tell Kingston to GFY if he loses. And I could have sworn he dropped that when he moved over to this influencer gimmick. Please stop saying it, Jericho. You're absolutely <laughs> crushing my soul. You are one of the coolest wrestlers and most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone who is pro prolific. One of the most prolific gimmick and tagline creators of all time. GFY is a failure. Please stop for the love of all that is holy. Uh, Santana and Ortiz walked up and they gave Jericho reluctant fist bumps. So that's either foreshadowing a turn at revolution or maybe just a nice way to tie things up. But when I look at that, I'm not exactly sure what Jericho did to make good with them. So that did have me intrigued and it does make me lean towards believing that not all is right with them and maybe a turn is coming. But anyway, so I didn't, I appreciated that backstage development, but from a go home standpoint, it wasn't as good as what they did the week prior, but it was a loaded show. They needed to move something around. Yeah. L let me start by saying Jericho looks great. Mm -hmm. he, didn't he lost like 30 pounds recently? And He's I mean, again, like yeah. within like a month, it feels like he just from not that long ago, he looks great. It, it looks like when when he would be in WWE and he he'd suddenly look great and you knew that meant he was had a title had a title picture uh, title run coming or something like that is when he gets into shape so uh, he looks he looks great I, I'm excited for the the I assume this will have some sort of promo video before the match I think it could be really good they've had some some good promos to build off of so uh, yeah the 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 pride and powerful thing at, at the end there um, adds some more intrigue just like the Wardlow thing does with MJF so. Uh, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick Eddie Kingston here uh, for the same reason I picked Eddie Kingston against Punk is that he's he's he keeps being put down by these legendary wrestlers for never reaching his potential. I feel like at some point he has to get one of these. He has to get the big win, the biggest win of his career. One of these that he's never had didn't happen against Punk. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say it comes against Jericho. I bet you thought that this was one of the occasions where you'd be on an island by yourself, but you're not. I actually completely agree. Uh, I think the Santana and Ortiz, that fist bump, the reluctant fist bump was foreshadowing a turn, uh, the end potentially of Inner Circle, Santana and Ortiz aligning with Kingston and helping him, or at a minimum, helping him in this match, creating some type of distraction or reason for Jericho to lose. Because the truth is, Jericho probably should not lose to Eddie Kingston, you know, right. if, if it was clean, if it was normal. Uh, but I do think Kingston walks out of here with the win. Let's not forget, he's the face side of this. They've transitioned him uh, along with Santana and Ortiz to the face side. Jericho is playing the heel. So it's a face victory. Uh, Jericho can easily absorb the loss. I completely agree. I think Eddie Kingston wins this match. If he gets interference to help win, though, is that a face victory? Well, it's distraction, not interference necessarily. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but no, I, I yeah, 
we're on this. This was this again. This was the reason I picked Eddie Kingston against Punk. I thought they built it up well. I think they built it up well again here. So we'll see. Sure. Uh, tag team championship: Jurassic Express versus Red Dragon versus Young Bucks. So on Dynamite, we had the Casino Battle Royal. This came after the regular Battle Royal from last week. FTR on top flight started. Darius Martin made his return from an ACL injury. It was really nice to see him. The acclaimed two Dark Order teams, Butcher and Blade, Bear Mountain, Santana and Ortiz, Best Friends, Varsity Blondes, obviously the Young Bucks, Gun Club, Johnson and Anderson, and 2.0 were all in the match. The final three were FTR, Top Flight, and the Bucks. There was an FTR flight kamikaze elimination. Then Red Dragon ran down and helped eliminate Cash Wheeler. That left Darius with both Bucks. It picked up here. Uh, Matt accidentally eliminated Nick before a really strong sequence with Darius that ended with a super kick and the Bucks predictably winning. I, I just got to say, like you guys know I'm not a huge Young Bucks fan myself. This was boring as sin with far too many teams and it lasted way too long. As I said two weeks ago, I understand they wanted to do a triple threat and they wanted to have two qualifying spots. But to do two battle royals in consecutive weeks, even if they were slightly different, to get us to the totally obvious outcome here was super frustrating for me as a viewer. They should have just put both of these teams in the match. Or why don't you like look at your rankings and realize that they exist for a reason? Put the number one team from the rankings in and then hold one battle royal for the other spot. They could have done it so many other ways. I did like the finish here and the post-match with Red Dragon atoning for their actions last week. That continues the storyline going into Revolution. But it also makes Jurassic Express the third wheel in a match that they enter as champions. So this match that we're going to get, it should be super exciting. Uh, you know, I would call it a spot fest, except you have Red Dragon in there. They're not really spot wrestlers. I just think it's going to be a great wrestling match. But the build to it, at least as far as I'm concerned, has been atrocious. Your point about the rankings is right. They, they, you got to take those into account. And in, in, I don't know if they, did they weight the rankings in terms of who came out in the second battle royal? I don't know. That just popped into my head. But I'm gonna look you're, them you're up right. While you're, talking. Yeah. you're right that it devalues the rankings. However, I I liked both battle royals for for whatever reason. I just I generally liked them. I think the tag team aspect makes them differently, and also their tag team division is absolutely loaded. Like, like I watch these and I'm, I'm thinking they really need a trios tag championship because they just have so many tag teams that uh, just kind of aren't really doing anything or they're involved in factions or six man tag. So you might as well make a trios belt. But like, you know, it, it helped. It made, you know, like John Silver got a moment to shine for the Dark Order. FTR got some moments in there as well. So I, I think it did a good job of highlighting all the different tag teams they have. You know, Trimperetta with, with the best friends as well. So I. Is it was it repetitive? Yeah, did we know how it was going to end? Yeah, but I, I still enjoyed it, um, and I'm really looking forward to the match. Two of the top five teams in the rankings from last week, because for some reason they didn't announce them this week. Uh, two of the top five teams were not in the match. Who are those? Um, Private Party, and I th I don't know if Mark Quinn is injured, but I kind of assume he is. Uh, Private Party and Kings of the Black Throne. Okay, yeah, and somehow Gun Club is three and one, and and fourth in the rankings right now. So the point being, you know, they took two teams that are, are somehow not in the rankings when they easily could have given them a couple matches just to boost them up. And they just threw them into the match. Again, what's the point of the rankings happening? Like for the no, men's right. title, for the men's title, Hangman Page is the champion. 
Adam Cole is 5-0 and and number one in the rankings. That makes sense. For the women's title, Britt Baker is the champion. Thunder Rosa is 4-0 and and number one in the rankings. That makes sense. So it doesn't always have to equal out, but they should, the teams challenging for the title should at least be in the rankings. And in this case, they're not even in them. Neither of them, not the Young Bucks, nor Red Dragon. That's interesting. Yeah, because they did so many uh, six-man tag matches and and other things. All they had to do was put a couple t- uh, tag matches on TV. You give one spot to someone, you let the other one earn it through a, a casino battle royal or something else, and then you get to the same result. Anyway, here we are. We're at this match. I, I'm struggling a little bit in terms of predicting it because... Mm-hmm. there's really two different outcomes as far as I'm concerned. One is the titles change hands and when they change hands, it ha- it continues the feud between Red Dragon and Young Bucks or because they don't fully trust each other, neither of them win and Jurassic Express ultimately retains the titles. I don't know what the best answer is. What I can tell you though, as I said earlier, is Jurassic Express is clearly the third wheel here. In terms of a prediction... I'm going to narrow it down to Jurassic Express or Red Dragon. My belief is Red Dragon and Young Bucks, they can feud and go through this storyline with Adam Cole and whatever they end up doing without the championships. So I'm going to pick Jurassic Express to retain. But I got to say, their run as tag team champions, they've had some like fun matches. It hasn't meant anything. I don't really care about them anymore. And the other two teams in this match are the ones that I'm actually interested in, given they have a real storyline going into it. Exactly. Jurassic Express winning the belts was a fun deal and they they built that up and they were on they were they were hot. And then we've just gotten so much Young Bucks Red Dragon ever since. And so they just they don't feel like that big of a deal anymore. Also, I don't like Christian being with them. He takes away from them. He so doesn't much. need to talk yeah. for them. He's out front and center half the time. I know you need something for him to do, but I, I, I Jurassic Express, just the two of them was much better mm-hmm. than when they had Christian Cage because that we're hearing about Christian and they feel like a trio. So they don't feel like a tag team anymore. We're not we're not hearing hearing about as much about a boy and his dinosaur type of stuff. So it it it's tough because in that sense, you're, you're right. The, the Red Dragon Young Bucks thing is much more interesting. Put the belt, put the belts on them because the, the belts aren't uh, aren't as interesting. But for that same reason. I think I'm also picking Jurassic Express wins because they are right there. There just is the natural story with Red Dragon and Young Bucks to do their own thing. So I'm picking the retain retaining as well. If they do lose the titles, they would have the shortest tag team title run in AEW history. Just something to consider as you are watching the match. Uh, let's keep going because we have four huge matches. Really the uh, four, or sorry, five huge matches still remaining on this card, uh, Face of the Revolution ladder match. Uh, Keith Lee, Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and an open spot that became Orange Cassidy on Rampage. We had Orange versus Anthony Bowens. Orange hit the Stun Dog Millionaire. Bowens did some weird spinning move into an X Factor. Uh, Orange's Michinoku driver came for a near fall. Acclaimed used their boombox to distract the referee so Bowens could get a couple shots for near falls. Max Caster tried to use his chain when Danhausen appeared to distract. Cassidy hit the orange punch on Caster, then Bowens for the win. That was a fine match. The expected winner won. I know other people like Danhausen, I guess. It just feels forced to me. I don't get it. <laughs> on AEW TV, they have not explained him. Now, I, no, know he, yeah. I know he's out there. I know he's done plenty of stuff on social media, and a lot of AEW's fan base knows him. I have not seen a single one of his videos ever. So as a 
casual viewer, let's call it, okay, at least in terms of this, I have no idea who this guy is. I have no idea why he's there. And I have no idea what he's doing. They should explain it to the TV audience. I agree. But in that sense, I also like that they're not... They're not over pushing him. He's just making random appearances. And basically, if you want to figure it out, you kind of go look for it yourself. So I popping up once in a while where he's not the focus of a storyline. I'm okay with that. I I, I think he's he's popping up every time any of them are in a match at this point. Yeah, I I, I still find it funny. I don't watch most of his videos. I have a general understanding of of who he is. I find some of his videos funny, um, some of his Twitter stuff funny. Uh, So it's. It's not that it, it's a small thing, and I'm fine with that. You, you, one more thing. You mentioned the acclaimed. I, we, I didn't really talk about it in the battle royal. I love the acclaimed more and more that I see them. They're not in this tag championship match. I hope they continue to rise in the tag division. They've been great. And also, uh, Max Caster, his last line, I think, on Dynamite when he when he said you're 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 less popular than Glenn Jacobs tweets. Mm-hmm. I popped for that. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really I'm, I'm really enjoying the acclaim. His raps have not been on point recently, but that line was very good. I did like yeah. that. I agree. Uh, as And now as far as the match goes, um, Chris, do you say you have the card up? Yes. So there is an open spot for this match, correct? Uh, it says Keith Lee versus Orange Cassidy versus Powerhouse Hobbs versus Ricky Starks versus Wardlow versus Christian Cage or Ethan Page. It does? It says or Ethan Page at the end of it. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's right. They're having the match on Rampage. I didn't know that was for the final revolution spot. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so Chris, thank you for the note. Uh, Christian Cage or Ethan Page uh, will be in that final spot. I have to presume Christian wins that match and gets in here. Why do you say that? Um, Big name. They want him on the card. We just talked about Scorpio Sky being the one to get the title match. So why would Paige be in here? Sky would be in here if, that, if yeah. that's what they were going to do. That makes sense. Okay, I, so, I, I could see it either way, but I think that makes sense. So let's throw Christian in here. I don't really know, by the way, when this match, at least I think historically, has been about younger talent and faiths of the revolution, like new people, you know, coming through. Um, I'm surprised they didn't leave this final spot open to debut someone or do a surprise return or something like that. Uh, Christian, if he is in the match, or Ethan Page, either of them. Uh, I don't really think they're going to win. So to me, it kind of comes down to Keith Lee, Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and Orange Cassidy. I look at that. Starks doesn't need it. They're not going to give it to Hobbs. Orange doesn't make any sense really to have it. So to me, Chris, and tell me if you're with me on the final two, I have to believe it's either Keith Lee or Wardlow that wins. We'll do our predictions now. You can go first, but I have to think it's one of those two. Yeah, that's my thought too between the two of them. And, right. uh, and and of those two, I think we get, uh, I think we get, I, I think Keith Lee wins. Keith, Keith Lee is my pick to win. I also think we get Sean Spears costing Wardlow. Some, he hits him with a chair when he's climbing the ladder or something like that uh, to, to, adv- to advance that part uh, as well. So that's my prediction. I'm actually going to go the opposite way. I think they've done a pretty obvious job building a Keith Lee team Taz feud, because you know, anyone who comes into AEW has to feud with team Taz (laughs) for seven months on end. Uh, But they're pretty clearly, as far as I'm concerned, building this Keith Lee Hobbs and Starks feud. They threatened him where, you know, Hey, revolutions are not revolution. Rampage is our show. Uh, If you have a match on there, be careful, blah, blah, blah. So I think this is all set up for Wardlow 
to go in, win the ladder match. I think it's the brass ring. Is that what they do for this match? Is that this one? Uh, take I whatever. Guess, I think so. Yeah. Take whatever the thing that the Sonic the size, son, the Sonic ring, <laughs> the Sonic <laughs> ring. Uh, and I think Keith Lee, you know, is fine entering a feud with Team Taz for a little bit, builds himself up into a TNT title challenger, or maybe even a world title challenger. But Wardlow winning this, potentially being the one to take the title off Sammy, that's how I would book it. And I think that's actually what they're going to do. I can see that. I, I can see that happening and him winning the title and maybe even Sean Spears being his first feud for it mm-hmm. potentially as well. So I can see that. I'm going to stick with Keith Lee because, you know, he makes his big debut. You know, this is his, what, second match? Probably. This would be his third match. Third match with the company. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to say they 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 start pushing him and, and riding him for a bit. All righty. Uh, AEW Women's Championship. Britt Baker defending against Thunder Rosa. We had two segments this week. We saw Britt Baker twice. Can you believe it? After like two weeks of not seeing her. On Rampage, we had a contract signing. Rosa said she'd be a better champion than Baker's cheating ass. Britt said Rosa won their lights out match, but everyone was talking about Britt and that Rosa can never be a pillar of AEW like her. She said Rosa doesn't hate her. She loves her, but hates herself because she's jealous. Baker signed the contract. Rosa attacked. Jamie Hayter beat her down. Then Mercedes Martinez even decides with Rosa putting Hater through a table. Baker, I thought, carried the entire segment, but it did get the job done. It was just nice to see the top women in the company actually on TV for the first time in weeks. Agree. Good, good to see them. Thunder Rosa is so over with crowds. And I noticed this when I went to Winter is Coming. She gets huge reactions. Um, so I want to just point out that that uh yeah they've got some some women that people are really behind these two probably more than anybody we just don't get to see them on television unfortunately even though that would be nice Uh, on dynamite uh baker and hater fought rosa and martinez there was some good action in the match at times it was also really sloppy in a few parts rosa ultimately beat baker to a modest ovation and it really should have been a bigger deal given brits the champion now commentary i'll give them credit they sold it as a big deal other than that, I didn't really have any notes. So let's kind of just go into talking about the match. Look, Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, this is really the rematch from that lights out match, right? As we know. So you think about how that finished Rosa won. You think about how the Dynamite match finished Rosa won. Now, if this was WWE, what would we say, Chris? We would say Britt Baker is retaining the title at Revolution, right? Yes. I don't think that's going to be the case. I actually am of the belief at this point that Baker's title reign, it's not that it's gone on too long necessarily, and it's not that it's been bad either. There's been some really damn good moments, but I do think they're running out of material material with her. I think the it's it's gone on so long to the point that she's really beaten every significant challenger that you would think would go after her for the title, at least that's in the company. Now, could they bring in Athena, the former Ember Moon, or some of the other women that WWE released and and propel them up as challengers? Mercedes Martinez, could they put her in that spot? I think they could, but I am of the belief it's the right time to change the title. I think they're going to counter the expectation, um, or at least the, the WWE version of the expectation, which would say this person's never beat the other person. So... The other person's going to win. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Thunder Rose is going to Brit- beat Britt Baker for the AEW Women's Championship and give Baker this big time, long time uh, rival that she'll eventually be able to get over somewhere down the line. 
I, I think I'm picking it too, and I'm kind of surprised. I thought I would be the, the only one to pick it here, and for a few reasons. One, like you said, Britt Baker's beaten everybody. I think they just need, they know they need to freshen it up. They just, they need to have these people do different things and get into different roles. Um, Britt Baker also, I don't think, needs the title. I think she's a big deal with or without it, and the crowds will be with her either way. Also, uh, we haven't picked any title changes on this card yet, and I think we're both going to pick the same in the main event, in which case, you know, for such a a big, rare pay-per-view, would they not do any title changes? I, I think they do. So that's another reason I think Thunder Rosa wins here. Um, well, we had so, only we only, we'd only discussed two title matches before this, so. But yes, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But I, 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 on a pay per view, I feel like they would probably have at least one title change, and this is the one I think it's going to be. I think and this I is the think most this, likely. One. I think it's, yeah. yeah, and I, I think it'll be a great match too. These, these two have tremendous chemistry together. Those other matches they've had were great. Very much looking forward to this. So let's move on to what I really consider to be the triple main event. Uh, Brian Danielson versus John Moxley. On Dynamite, Danielson fought Christopher Daniels, who was fighting his first match on AEW TV in like seven months. CD's right eye filled with blood like right away early in the match. Good back and forth action. Brian caught the best moonsault ever into a triangle sleeper and flexed as he earned the knockout win. Uh, Brian then kicked CD's head in after the bell. Moxley came out, not for the save. He just came out and gave Brian a free shot. Danielson chose to duck out of the ring. It was a really well-wrestled match, which is no surprise. Uh, 3.5 stars and a B. The go-home moment, though, for Brian and Moxley was very underwhelming con- compared to the prior two or three moments that we've had with them. They didn't even really mention the storyline that has been going on about them leading a faction and all that type of stuff. So didn't love the go-home, but I am still very enthusiastic for this match. Yeah, don't really have much to add to, to the to the last week of stuff, but one thing I think we got to count on with this match is, is, is bleeding. And, you know, Brian's, was it Moxley said, I don't work with someone unless I've bled with someone. Mm -hmm. I think so. This, this could be pretty brutal. I'm surprised there aren't really many stipulations for this pay-per-view. We have a ladder match. We have a dog collar match. Everything else is pretty much just normal match. I'm surprised we didn't get any um, tornado match for the six man, but that's it. Yeah. Tornado, I guess technically, but yeah. But I'm surprised we didn't get anything about weapons or, or, or ODQ or something like that. So um curious how they'll get there, but I'm, I'm sure this will be pretty, this will be a very, very brutal match. But again, this is the nice thing about AEW is that for, for a pay-per-view, they'll say, you know what? Here's two guys that people would love to see together. Let's just put them together and everybody's into it. It's the thing I complained about on our Tuesday show with WrestleMania, when you have people like Kevin Owens and Big E and there aren't clear paths for them right now. AEW's just like, hey, we got two awesome guys. Let's put them together. People are going to want to watch it. And I want to watch this. So here we go. Right. The only match like this on WrestleMania is AJ Styles and Edge. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So, okay, go ahead. What's your uh, prediction for this? Ooh. I'm, this is, this, this might be the toughest one to pick. I'm, I think it is the toughest on the entire show. I agree. Ooh, because Brian hasn't lost, or no, he lost to Hangman. Was that his first loss? Yes. He, so he hasn't he has lost. He has one loss I, and two draws. We're, we're, we're not doing another draw with this. No, they can't do that. Yeah. 
But if, if they want to team up, is it more likely Moxley wins or Moxley loses for them to team up? Well, all he said is he wanted to bleed with him. He didn't say he right, wanted to but, beat but, him. But, yeah. but if we think they're going to do that, which one would, would be more likely to happen? I'm going to say Moxley wins. And what do you think? How do you think the storyline progresses? If you think it progresses? I, I, I think they... I don't want to say, become a tag team. I, I think maybe they become a tag team. This is what I'll say. Uh, John Moxley has not lost a non ladder match on AEW television since July. And that was the title change with Lance Archer for the IWGP US heavyweight championship that they needed. Mm-hmm. They needed to change that. So this is a guy who hasn't lost. Yes, he's been, he took a few months off, of course. And was in rehab, but he does not lose, is the point. Uh, Brian Danielson already has those two draws and that one loss. So if you go into the match, you, you got to think, well, do you have Mox take a loss? And do you maybe excuse, I don't know, the rust of the entire thing? Or do you have Brian lose? In which case, he can kind of absorb it a little bit better than Moxley. And mm-hmm. I don't think that... You can even really consider in this case because Brian wants to team with Mox and Brian's the heel, quote unquote, here, cheating or a backhanded way. I think what ends up happening is the win comes via happenstance, not so much like a paradigm shift or a running knee, but more, you know, a a pinning combination. Someone gets caught. That's how I think this match ends. And if they do it that way, in theory, Danielson winning would make a lot of sense. I ultimately think it's going to be John Moxley, but I really think it's 50-50. Like if I was betting or setting a line for this, I would make both of them minus 110 because I I think it's legitimately even. So you, so you think someone wins via happenstance? Yeah, like I think it's like a pinning combination or a wrestling hold or something along those lines. I don't so much think that like Mox hits the paradigm shift or Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson uh, uses that triangle choker or the label yeah. lock or the running knee. So yeah, so I think they beat the absolute shit out of each other, and the the win is potentially both of them bloodied with Moxley just like on his stomach putting one arm over Brian and then the one two three. That, how that's many, how I think. How many people do you think blade on this pay per view? Oof. But let's um. <laughs> you one, you think about it. I'm going to count two, up how many people yeah. are on the show. One two. I'm going to say three or four. I'll say there's 30 people on this pay-per-view wrestling. I'll say, I'll say four. I'll say Moxley and Danielson. CM Punk, kind of like he did on, uh, and MJF, both of them. And then no, maybe a, maybe a King, maybe an Eddie Kingston or maybe a hangman. Hangman's been getting Hangman loves yeah, he loves Hangman getting his a lot. So I'm going to say 4. I'm with I'm with you on that. I'm going to set the over under. We're setting the over under officially, the getting over under uh at 4.5. 4.5 blades. 4.5 blades on this show. <laughs> yeah. And if there's a, if there's a hard way that happens to bleed, I won't count it. And you well, it's very it's usually very easy to tell. Yeah, that's true. You that it's works, usually that, easy yeah, to tell. But if it's a purposeful hard way like if Moxie like scrapes his elbow yeah. across Daniel Bryan's forehead, then I'm going to count that. So basically it's okay. blading yes. or purposeful blood, non-accidental yes. blood. That works. Over under is 4.5. Yeah. 
So we're okay. both picking Moxley. We're both picking Moxley. Uh, CM Punk versus MJF in the dog collar match. Chris, I said it on Twitter. I'm going to say it again right here. This should be the main event of AEW Revolution, not mm-hmm. the, the world championship match. Uh, but on Dynamite, uh, Punk came out with a mic to say he believes what MJF said last week. And while he may be getting gaslit a little bit from the promo, he actually believes the, the story itself that MJF told. Basically, he said MJF has proven himself to be such a piece of shit over time that it probably all came from a place of legitimate hurt deep down inside. MJF came out to the ring without his music. Punk ran down all the shitty things he's done, but he said he's trying to be a good guy. He offered a handshake, the same handshake he turned down from MJF months ago. MJF hugged him instead. Punk hesitated for about 30 seconds, hugged him back. And when they finally broke the hug, MJF kicked Punk in the balls and hit him with the heat seeker. MJF then punched him with the diamond ring. Punk bladed. MJF hit him again. He called Punk a stupid old man and said that MJF is the devil himself. Then Sean Spears put the dog collar around Punk's neck and hung him over the top rope before Sting, Darby, and Sammy made the save. I just thought this was another stellar segment. Even if the crowd was kind of dead for part of it, this is the best built match by miles for the Revolution card. And it's had the best segments leading up to the pay-per-view. As Brett underscore Malam wrote in, it's arguably the best story AEW has ever told. There's a case to be made, given the start and stop nature of the hangman chase for the AEW title, that this, being in a shorter, smaller package, has been more consistent and stronger from start to finish. It wasn't that long ago, Chris, where this feud started. And I said to you, how the hell are they going to stretch this out for two more months? Yeah. Guess what? They successfully stretched it out. This was a great go-home moment that made me anticipate the match even more than I did before. Would I have preferred if they saved the turn or the surprise for during the match? A situation with Punk showing mercy and that coming to his own detriment? Yes, I would have I would have definitely preferred that. I probably would have done it that way if I had the book. Also, the heavy blading was completely unnecessary here and totally overdone. However, aside from those two things, this worked extremely well. And like I said, I anticipate the pay-per-view match even th- more than I did before. Yeah, I, they obviously took it to another level with the story that MJF told last week. Maybe the greatest promo in AEW history. Um, it, because that was the, you know, they didn't open this story up with, hey, Punk, you know, r- this happened and, and I hated you for it. They started off with, Punk, you you left us, you betrayed us. And I liked you growing up. They did that for a month or so. And then they 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 held that last bit, that story, that promo that he kind of cut in MLW back in the day to take it to the next level. And that's how they stretched it for two months. This is this was tremendous build. I didn't love Punk's uh, promo on, on Dynamite. It seemed like it was just he it was very slow and a lot of pauses. It, it seems like. A lot of his promos, he doesn't have the, the 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 quick reaction to just go boom, 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 boom. There's a lot of taking it slow type of stuff, and he's kind of got to remember where he wants to get to. Um, but you know, the hug, all that stuff, that was great. The, was the blading too much? Yeah, maybe. But I, I think it just added some more animosity going into this match. And like the commentary made the point, like, hey. Revolution's what four five days away. This is a big deal that Punk's getting his ass kicked right now. I love that MJF was wearing the all white. 
you know, he he takes the punk blood and rubs it on his shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you, they've got Wardlow and everybody keeping everybody back. This is by the books, great fundamental wrestling go home segment. And I, I think it was great. Awesome. And you're right. This is the match that people were looking forward to more than anything else. We'll get into the hangman bit in a minute. But uh, yeah, this, is, this has been a tremendous story. Now, as far as who ultimately wins this match, I've been going back and forth about it. Um, you know, I think for most people, the favorite coming in is probably CM Punk, given the way the final segment unfolded, MJF getting over on him, and so on. But, you know, it, it doesn't escape me that MJF basically loses every major feud that he's in. Now, not initially, but eventually. I'm not saying it's happened every time, because it hasn't. But when you look at his history in AEW, like, he eventually falls. He eventually fell to John Moxley. He eventually fell to Chris Jericho in the final match. And for a guy who's really, I mean, talk about, when you talk about the pillars of AEW, he's the pillar more mm-hmm. so than Sammy Guevara, more so than Darby Allen. Totally. Um, and Jungle Boy being the other one. I think he's got to win a feud at some point. I also believe that if CM Punk is going to put someone over, it probably should be MJF given the storyline, given the stuff that's happening. And by the way, when you talk about MJF uh, consistently kind of losing at the end of these long feuds, CM Punk is winning basically most of the feuds that he's had at the end. He, he won uh, the Eddie Kingston feud. Um, he beat, uh, I forgot if who the other one, Darby Allen in his debut. So is CM Punk really coming in to AEW to just run over the young talent when it really should probably be the opposite? So I've been going back and forth here, but again, I'm going to kind of do the counter to WWE where when you see the go-home segment, you expect the other person to come out on top on the pay-per-view I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think MJF is going to beat CM Punk. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but I do think he does it and comes out as the winner here at Revolution. Yeah, I mean, I have been kind of frustrated that Punk has been winning pretty much everything since he got here when the whole point was to kind of help the younger guys. I picked him to lose to Darby Allen in his first match, which he obviously didn't. It it kind of plays more. It, it also plays into what do we think is next for MJF? He he has to become AW champion at some point. He seems like the perfect guy to take it off Hangman Page at some point. Right. So you kind of figure when is that? Do 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 you have him beat Punk here and that be the springboard to an Adam Page feud mm-hmm. at the next pay per view? Which is what I would or, do. Just which, which, and, and where he wins because he is so freaking hot right now and he's incredibly talented I, I don't think you can take a lot of that away from him he'll, he'll always be able to make himself feel like the biggest deal in the room but man like when I talked about when I went to winter is coming when that dude's music hit everybody stood up like he has a star power about him that not a lot of people in wrestling can match right now and I think especially since Paige's title reign has been kind of eh. He, I don't think Paige needs a very long title reign. I think at the next pay-per-view, you have, I don't even know which one the next one is, um, but I think you have 
MJF take the title off of him. And so a win over Punk would be the way to do that. On the other hand, we do have this Wardlow thing going on. Mm -hmm. And with the way they built it up on Dynamite, could you see Wardlow turning there and costing MJF and and having MJF going into into a Wardlow feud feud for a period of time? Uh, I can see that too. Um, But I'm going to... I'm going to pick MJF as well. We All of these ones that are really tough to pick, you and I keep bending up on the same side. Yeah, I'm really surprised. I thought I was kind of j- jumping out on the limb on some of these. Yeah, I really did. but I just I just think, yeah, I, I, I don't, I think MJF comes out on, on top of this and I think it's time to push him back to the very, very top of the company. And yeah. This is the way to do it. I agree. By the way, uh, MJF so hot right now, Hansel so hot right now. That's the yes. reference I got. Uh, so... I agree that Paige needs to drop the title. It needs to either be now or in his, to his next opponent, whether that is his next pay-per-view opponent or whether that's in a TV match, let's say two months from now or something like that. Looks like the next one is double or nothing in at the end of May. Okay. And is in, that in, in Las in, Vegas? In Vegas. Yep. So yeah, I mean, what I would probably book, and I think you can get there because don't forget, this isn't a number one contendership or anything. So you have MJF beat CM Punk. He's all high and mighty. He's up there. He's feeling himself, whatever. You can run the Wardlow feud if you want for two months, and then you run the Page feud for the next two months. And you have him take the title. But that's assuming, by the way, Page walks out of revolution with the championship. And I think there's a good chance that doesn't happen. I'm not saying it will not. I'm not saying he will drop the title, but I think there's a legitimate chance of it. So yeah. You know, let's move on to that now. But I do think that no matter what, I, I, CM Punk has nothing to gain by winning this unless they are going to push CM Punk and make him AEW world champion because they want the headlines and the publicity and all that kind of like what they did with Chris Jericho. Unless they're going to do that. And if they are going to do that, I would definitely probably go more along the lines of John Moxley or Brian Danielson instead of CM Punk right now. Um, although Punk is obviously the bigger name. But unless that's the goal, I got to pick MJF. I got to think he wins this match. I mean, we could easily have an MJF CM Punk match with MJF as a champion, too. You know, you you could get CM Punk in a a, a world championship match, even if he doesn't win it. We could. That is absolutely true. Let's move on to the main event of AEW Revolution, the AEW World Championship. Hangman Adam Page defending against Adam Cole, baby. On Dynamite, Page and Dark Order fought Cole and Red Dragon in the main event. Hangman and Cole teased their finishers. Cole later avoided fighting Page until Hangman lured him into the ring. Cole eventually beat Alex Reynolds with the last shot. A typical post-match attack saw Hangman duct tape to the ropes as Red Dragon hit Hilo on John Silver and Cole hit Panama Sunrise on Reynolds. Cole then super kicked Hangman twice and said the title belongs to him. This was the go-home moment to Revolution, the final you know thing. I don't really count Rampage. And it really lacked heat from the crowd. I don't know if mm-hmm. you felt the same way as I did, but the crowd was standing, but it was just silent through the end of the show. And that, to me, basically shows that this feud, even though in the last couple of weeks they've done a good job building it, the promo with Paige and Cole was really good, that back and forth. It's just really not that hot. I think people have kind of moved on from the elite being the center of the AEW universe and while it's a worthy main event and it's a worthy title match, Adam Cole is one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. I can't tell you that I'm really anticipating it, even if I expect it to be pretty damn good. This is something where I wonder if the fact that we always see Adam Cole in a group, does that take away, in this case, the the interest in a, in a one-on-one 
match because mm-hmm. we always see him with his friends. He doesn't feel like as big of a deal on his own. Maybe is, is that something you could kind of sense because, you know, the latter years of undisputed era, you know, when they had all the gold, it made sense when he had the title, it made sense. But when he's challenging, it wasn't it, it, it wasn't as much. So I, I, I love the idea of the go home that they did. It all made sense. It was a lot like the MJF CM Punk one. Um, but you're right. The crowd wasn't that into it. Commentary wasn't kind of going bananas about it. I don't know if everybody was just waiting for someone to come in and save him because AW does those all the time. Uh, but yeah, I was I was kind of surprised there was a lack of, of heat for it. Although I liked what they did. I, I've liked the build for this. Adam Culver's Hangman Page is a must-see match. Everything everything about it on paper is there. Um but may- maybe people don't feel like Cole really is going to win. I, don't I, know. I think that's the case going in because it's pretty obvious to me that the storyline that AEW wants is the inner tensions of the elite, the uh, Cole-led mm-hmm. side of it tri- trio against the Kenny Omega-led trio. Kenny's out. You have to assume he's coming back sooner than later. So I don't know what reason there would be to put the title on Cole and have it wrapped up back in this elite you know, bullshit again where – Omega becomes the challenger and all these other people in the company are left, you know, fighting for crumbs, basically, while the elite continue to dominate the main event scene. I don't think that's going to be the case. I do agree that Paige does need to drop the title sooner than later. I just don't think doing it at this particular show is the right thing. He's only had the title for 110 days at this point. It would be the shortest title reign by more than two months, two and a half months, if he was to drop it. So for all of those reasons, I think he keeps it. He drops it either two months or four months from now, either at a really big special TV show or at the next pay-per-view. But I have to believe he retains over Cole uh, Sunday night at Revolution. Yep, my, my, my pick is is Paige as well. And honestly, the whole Young Bucks Red Dragon, do we think that's going to play out here? It could. Because we had, you know, we, we had Paige, we had the Young Bucks kind of stay away from Paige when he was beating up Adam Cole last week or something like that. Uh, so it's it's possible we get a lot. We get, it's possible we get a, a schmozzy finish where the young bucks save him potentially uh, from from a beatdown from Red Dragon. I possibly, think yeah. See as well. Yeah. So I, I think, and look, look, I think I think the young bucks Red Dragon stuff has a lot of interest and heat. So I, I don't think that would necessarily be a wrong decision. But having that kind of overshadow the the, the men's championship, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious. Cause I, there's going to be some sort of interference. We we know that. And I'm curious where it goes. So I'm interested in the match. I think it'll be a good match. Uh, but picking Paige. All right. And lastly here, as we always do, let us give our pre-show expectation grades for AEW Revolution. Chris, you and I are going to give our grades right now. You, the listeners, will be able to contribute on Twitter. Uh, we'll post a poll uh, around 7 p.m., one hour before Revolution begins, right when our uh, pre-show starts, our live show on Twitter Spaces. We will post a poll on Twitter allowing you guys to vote and tell us uh, what your expectation grade is for AEW Revolution. But of course, this is our show, Chris. We get to tell them what we think first. So you go ahead. I always let you do the grades first. What is your expectation grade for Revolution? Before I do this, there are two pre-show matches. Did we want to talk about those at all? Oh, they're actually, they announced them? Uh, At least on Wikipedia. It It says Hook Hook versus QT Marshall and and Statlander versus Layla Hirsch. Oh, so that's why they did those... uh, those deals. Interesting. Okay. Um, hook, we, hook if, and Satlander. What else you got? Uh, same. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, yeah, by the way, by the way, looking forward to Statlander and Layla Hirsch. That should be a really good match. Like very, yeah. ex- I'm more excited for that match than I am the TBS Championship match. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So in in total, it's eleven matches. So in, in that's crazy. Nine nine on the main card. So wild. To- uh, grade here. Um, I'm gonna go a minus. I, I I think the the. Like you called it, three main events. There really are three main event type matches in here. I think the the ladder match should be a lot of fun. I think the uh, women's the, the women's championship match should be really good. Jericho Kingston is interesting. Outside of those two, outside of the the TBS championship and the six man tornado, I'm really interested in yeah. one, two, three, four, five, like seven of these matches. So I'm going to go A minus. Yeah, I agree. This is a super strong card. The top five matches on it all have potential on their own to be A matches or even potentially better. Uh, So this very well has the opportunity to be one of, if not the best, AEW pay-per-view that the company's put on. I mean, the last one was so fantastic. It's going to be really tough to match that. But I have to go in in the A range. It's way too strong of a card, even if the card is definitely too long. It was too long at nine matches. At 11 with two on the pre-show, I was hoping they moved the TBS title match to the pre-show, but 11 matches. I mean, this thing's going to end at 12, 1230 at this point, um, you know, midnight yeah. or after. So that instant analysis is going to come late, Chris. Uh, but yes, I'm with you. A minus pre-show expectation grade. As I said, you all will be able to vote by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You'll be able to give us your pre-show grade on Sunday while you listen to our AEW Revolution preview, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitter spaces. You need to follow us at Getting Overcast for that. And of course, we will have the AEW Revolution instant analysis coming as soon as that show goes off the air. All right, so with AEW in the books, and yes, that did go a little bit longer uh, than we expected, let's move over to NXT, where they're not only building for Stand and Deliver the Saturday of the two-night WrestleMania, it's going to be a Saturday afternoon show, but out of nowhere, totally out of the blue, they announced NXT Roadblock uh, coming next Tuesday on USA Network. So, okay, we got an extra special show and they spent all of this NXT basically building to it. So let's get into it. We'll talk about everything that went down and we'll wrap it all up at the end. Uh, The main storyline, of course, is Braun Breaker, as it always is. He teamed with Tommaso Ciampa against the Dirty Dogs. This was the main match on the show, but it opened the program. Ciampa wore a neon singlet like Braun. It really looked weird on him. Robert Roode did get his old glorious entrance for about 30 seconds. That was a nice touch. I wish they kind of had given him the whole thing. Uh, the faces did Champa's DIY celebration after an attack before the bell. Braun kicked out of a zigzag and later got thrown into some plants in the crowd. Champa was cornered for a bit before Braun tagged in and hit Ziggler with an absolutely picture perfect spear to the point where it's one of the best I've ever seen. Just that one, Braun, Ziggler, them together, the way it was executed, one of the best spears of all time, clean, flawless. Champa flew for the Steinerizer on Dolph Ziggler, but Rude saved the fall. Champa then beat him clean with fairy tale ending in the middle of the ring. This was maybe the hottest opener we've gotten in the new NXT. Everyone got a chance to shine. It tells you everything you need to know that Champa beat Ziggler clean with his finisher in NXT, but couldn't beat Robert Rude with his finisher in two chances on Raw. I did give this a 3.75 star B plus grade. Later in the show, Ziggler said he wanted the NXT title match next week, but Champa said pinning Ziggler clean hurt his number one contendership, which is a pretty good point. 
So Champa noted he's beaten Braun before. Breaker didn't like that. NXT then announced that they would fight in a triple threat match for the title next week at Roadblock with I, what I presume will be Breaker against Ziggler for the title at Stand and Deliver, but they did not officially announce that. I just don't get this booking. First of all, the triple threat match, if you're going to do it, should be at Stand and Deliver. If you want to have about before, you do Braun versus Ziggler on TV with Champa factoring into the finish. That creates the triple threat at the special event. Secondly, it's weird for NXT to just randomly create this other additional show when they just had Vengeance Day and they have Stand and Deliver coming up. Now, I presume the finish is going to be Champa eating both finishers and being pinned with Breaker Ziggler, like I said, happening in April. I could actually see them putting the title on Dolph just so Braun can win it back at a big show, given Ziggler and Rude basically have no WrestleMania plans right now. So I could see the title changing on TV next week, trying to inject a little life into NXT and the Stand and Deliver show. But I could also just as easily see Breaker uh, somehow retaining it, maybe by pinning Champa or something like that. The North American Championship, Carmelo Hayes against Pete Dunne. This was the main event of the show. Melo cut a great backstage promo. Now, this was fast-paced from the bell. Dunn hit an X-Plex. Melo hit a jumping DDT over the top rope, planting Dunn on the apron. Dunn had a run before Melo countered an X-Plex into a code breaker. Dunn sold it with a, flipping his entire body. It was pretty cool. Melo hit Booker T scissor kick. Then Dunn landed bitter end, but wasn't able to cover immediately. Dunn got his neck snapped in the bottom rope. Melo tried to submit him with a crossface, but Dunn snapped his fingers. Melo then countered bitter end into a cutter. Trick Williams jumped on the apron, so Dunn snapped his fingers. That gave Melo just enough of an opening to knock Dunn off the ropes and hit his flying leg drop to win and retain the title in 13 minutes. This was an outstanding match from bell to bell. The finish, a little bit telegraphed, not enough to hurt anybody. Hayes is really just running through all the challengers at this point. 4.25 stars, A, match of the night, and so far, match of the week by what I think was a pretty significant margin. After the match, Melo said he was uh, taking the title into Dallas, where he would defend it in the same match that kickstarted the North American Championship, a ladder match. It's a really nice idea. It's a great way to get a bunch of people on the show. And it makes sense for Melo to do this, given his ego and confidence level. I wish they had probably saved the announcement for next week. That way he could actually explain himself in a promo. They were really short on time. They rushed him. You could tell that the camera was like telling him, finish, 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 because they had to cut off. So it got rushed. The announcement didn't hit the same way as it would next week. But, you know, I'm glad they're doing the match. Also, by doing the ladder match, it's going to allow Melo to drop the championship without being pinned, which is probably the point of the entire thing. I can see Waller, Grayson Waller, Pete Dunne, and LA Knight being in this match. I hope it's at least five, maybe six people. So there's one or two more spots potentially that they could fill in. Uh, Gunther fought Solo Sokoa. Uh, Gunther said in a promo that he would beat some respect into Sokoa, but Solo said he was going to do the same because respect is a two-way street. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. There was only meat in this match. The crowd did an Uso chant as Sokoa hit a Samoan drop, plus a Samoan splash off the apron and a super kick for a near fall. Solo missed another splash inside. Gunther chopped his back, knocked him out in a sleeper hold, and hit two power bombs for the win in 7.30 to end Solo's undefeated streak. There's a great little match here, 3.5 stars and a B, four slabs of meat. 
Uh, Gunther lost so much weight. He looks fantastic. This, we anticipated it last week. It totally delivered, and I'm glad that it did. Now, LA Knight put himself over backstage, then started cutting a promo in the ring when he got put off his game by some fans that he called out in the front row. He ran down his feud with Grayson Waller, who got a lot of heel heat. Waller said their feud was over. Knight said he stands tall, win or lose every time they fight, and then made what we predicted last week, the expected last man standing challenge. Waller accepted it. Knight cut him down. The whole thing started shaky. It ended up being a solid confrontation. Knight continues to shine as a face, as we've said. I just assumed, though, that this match would happen at Stand and Deliver, so I was really surprised to see it added to TV. And I think this was before they even announced that Roadblock was going to be a card. There's three huge matches on this show, all of which seemed like they were destined for Stand and Deliver. So I don't know what's happening on that show. Uh, let's now go into the Women's Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic. Uh, Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada fought Dakota Kai and Wendy Chu. Parada was distracted texting, presumably Duke Hudson, on her phone backstage. Kai hit Parada with a pump kick. Chu nailed a backward splash from the top rope, and Kai followed with a coup de gras for the upset in five minutes and 30 seconds. Surprising decision here, but it's storyline-based because Parada was distracted. Kai was superior to everyone else in the match. Like She looked like a total veteran ready for the main roster. The other three women all have talent, but Kai is just so far and away above all of them. Uh, it was good to see this get more time, though, than the matches last week. NXT also, one note here, had the cameraman literally in the ring for both of the high-risk finishes, which just looked absolutely awful. It was far too close to the wrestlers. It made the ring look tiny. I don't mind NXT, NXT trying things out. This is absolutely not it, though. Please do not do this anymore. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade fought uh, Ulisa Leon and Valentina Feroz. Uh, one of the best moves of the whole show was Leon tossing Feroz out of the ring for a huge Tope Con Hero before following with the Tope Suicida on Gonzalez. But as great as both of those moves looked, Gonzalez caught both women expertly. We see so many times how like Charlotte Flair will go for the moonsault and just will miss and the women don't catch her below. Or someone does a Tope Suicida and they fly over the person and don't even touch them. Gonzalez here caught from a safety standpoint both women. And because of that, it made the moves look super impactful. So credit to her, really, really uh, deserved it. Raquel also caught one of them, I forgot who it was, flying into a fallaway slam, then hit the Chingona bomb before tagging Cora Jade, lifting her in the air, booting Feroz, and slamming Jade into Leon for the win in five minutes. Not only were Gonzalez and Jade a far better tag team than I expected, this match was an absolute blast. Totally surprised me. What a great showing by Leon and Feroz. They opened my eyes. Hopefully they opened the eyes of others in the back as well. I actually didn't think I was going to even grade this. I went 3.25 stars and a B. Really enjoyed it. Super, super fun. Uh, Ivy Nile was beating up a heavy bag without her hair and braids when Tatum Paxley walked up and said, she knows she failed last week, but she's dedicated to improving. Nile kind of indicated that you can't just want to be in Diamond Mine. You need to earn it. So it kind of feels like they're going to do a one-on-one -on -one match at some point and see if she's cut out for it or something like that. Pretty good segment, though. Some women were admiring Saray's amulet backstage when Tiffany Stratton got jealous and slammed her into the garage door. I'm sure we'll just see the match next week. We also had Amari Miller fight Lash Legend. They argued backstage over their failed tag team match. 
Miller ate a pump kick, then Lash ragdolled her between the ropes. Miller then hit a great Escalera moonsault back into the ring on Lash for a near fall. Lash threw her into the middle turnbuckle, then hit a really weird fireman's carry type of spine buster move. I think it used to be called the Widowmaker back in the day when Sean O'Hare did it in WWE. But she got the win, Lash Legend, in three minutes. Lash talked some shit to the camera after the win, and it was later shown by fans in attendance that Miller got stretchered out of the arena following the match for real, not in kayfabe. Miller is miles better than Lash, but both of them are super green and still have a ways to go. Lash just should not be doing a move like that if she does not know how to safely do it. She shouldn't honestly even be on TV at this point, let alone NXT next level. She shouldn't really be on that either. It's two weeks in a row. She's looked flatly awful. This women's roster in NXT is absolutely stacked. She is just not ready for prime time. Stop it. Stop the push. Put her back into training. If it works, bring her back on TV in a few months. If it doesn't, I don't know, get rid of her or something like that. It's just, it, it's not working right now. Even the gimmick sucks. The name is terrible. It, it's just not working. Luckily, Miller tweeted Wednesday that she's okay. That shit just should not happen though. Like I said, mistakes are mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Bad things do happen. Owen Hart has made mistakes. You know, it happens to everyone. But inexperience is dangerous, and it, especially when it's not necessary. Please, please be more careful. Zero point. Zero. NXT put over Nikita Lyons for the social media reaction to her debut match. They didn't really explain what the social media reaction was about, though. That's the most action I've had all year. So they kind of just made it look like she had an impressive debut performance in the ring, which she really didn't. Uh, Lyons cut a poor promo calling out Lash and saying they should discuss their beef on her talk show. If that was the best take they got for the recorded promo... Yikes. I have negative interest in a super green Lions legend match. I just don't care for it at all. Tony D'Angelo said stand and deliver would be a showcase to make him a made man. He didn't know his opponent, but promised that whoever it was would sleep with the fishes. I don't know, maybe create a storyline or figure out an opponent first before you have someone cut a promo like this. It, It reminded me of those AEW promos where like Miro just talks to the screen and says nothing. I had no idea why he did it. We're well past Tony D'Angelo introducing himself with short promos and vignettes. Let's get to like an actual feud. Have him call somebody out, do something. I could see him possibly being in that ladder match. That would make sense, but you got to have a reason for him to get in it. And this promo did not provide one. Uh, Von Wagner fought Andre Chase. Chase attacked after the bell. Wagner dominated for most of the match. Robert Stone distracted outside. So Wagner blindsided the student and caught Chase with a fireman's carry slam in the ring for the win in four minutes. Nothing has changed here. Wagner is a total charisma vacuum, nothing more than a dime a dozen power wrestler. That's it. Jensen was commenting about a truck on his phone when Electro Lopez walked by and thought the guys were catcalling her. Lopez said he wouldn't know what to do with a real woman. And he said the joke's on her. He's never been with a real woman. Yeah, that um, this is really bad. And it just keeps getting worse. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Uh, Harland fought Draco Anthony. Harland dominated from the bell and won with a backdrop Uranagi kind of move. I actually really liked his finisher, simple and powerful. The match was absolutely nothing, but I will say Harland looked the best he's looked yet. So that's a positive. He threw some really nice worked punches into Anthony's forearms. Harland picked up and hugged Anthony tight after the bell. And it kind of seems like they're trying to recruit him 
to join their little like inclusive group. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if they're going to continue with the storyline, but it is kind of interesting to see heels hug faces after beating them in that way where it's it's they truly don't believe they're the bad guys, even though to everyone else they are. So that was really everything that happened on NXT. We have this roadblock show. It's going to have the Breaker Champa Ziggler triple threat for the NXT title, a tag team title match between Imperium and the Creed Brothers, and the Knight versus Waller last man standing match. As I said earlier, all three matches that I thought would be on stand and deliver. I have no idea how they are now going to build that show with new storylines in three weeks if they're giving all this away on TV. I'm not saying they can't do it. It's three weeks. NXT is not that complicated. They can get it done. But when you're building to a show like that and you're trying to sell tickets, which is something they have not done in years for an NXT show, given the pandemic and all the changes, you really want compelling storylines that are going to get people to want to be at the show. So I'm not exactly sure what they're doing here. Uh, Mandy Rose and Carmelo don't even have challengers right now. Obviously, Melo is going to be in the ladder match, but Mandy, there's no clear cut opponent for her right now. All this is going to be very interesting. Either way, though, next week's show should bang. You know, you can say what you want about 2.0, but this week, this week only, NXT 2.0 had better wrestling, at least for me, than AEW Dynamite did. And their special shows, Vengeance Day, um, I think New Year's Evil they did, and Great American Bat, Halloween Havoc they did. Uh, So those three, I think, are, are the three that they've done so far. They're not the black and gold special shows, but they have all been really good. So I am excited for Roadblock next week. I do think it's going to bang. And that championship match, that main event, Breaker, Champa, and Ziggler, I mean, that has legitimate potential. Those are three incredible wrestlers. Breaker's still green, but Champa and Ziggler can totally go. They can totally bang. So I am excited for that show, and we will see what the fallout of that, what happens leading into Stand and Deliver just a few weeks away, about uh, four weeks away, I think it will be, uh, coming out of that edition of NXT. Lastly here, Uh, I did want to read a quick DM slide from Omar Gonzalez at The Omar Gonzalez. He said, so I took the deep dive into Corey and Carmella. It's actually really fun. The episodes are like 10 minutes long, but they range from hilarious sex jokes to very heartwarming and sweet. I would highly recommend you and Chris watching the series with your significant others. Well, The Silver King, unfortunately, does not have a significant other right now, but maybe I'll give the show a chance. I don't know. it's going to have to be a situation where I like, come across it on YouTube, watch one and say, oh, you know, OK, I'll watch the rest. As of right now, I don't think I'm going to watch it. Glad you liked it. And if others feel the same, tweet us and let us know. And maybe Chris and I will go ahead and effort a watch. I've actually been really removed from additional WWE content. Like I know on Peacock, they stopped producing as many originals as they had been for a period of time. But there have been some that they've put up. I haven't seen any of them, like none of the Stone Cold podcast um, I think they did more episodes of the Ruthless Aggression Show, which I really liked. Haven't seen any of those. So it's it's probably been six months since I've watched a non-pay-per-view on the WWE Network slash Peacock at this point. And I probably need to get into that. I'll, I guess I'll probably do it after WrestleMania, but I do need to kind of dive into all of that stuff. Uh, but that is it for today's show. A reminder of what's coming up. Uh, we have the AEW Revolution preview, pre-show, whatever you want to call it, 7 p.m. Eastern 
on Sunday, on Sunday, after AEW Revolution, we will have instant analysis of that pay-per-view as soon as the show goes off the air. And then we will be back next week on Tuesday with a WWE episode and on Thursday with our regular AEW and NXT episode. Do not forget, of course, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, as always, So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Please leave a review as well. Tell people why they should listen and subscribe to this show. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet live during all of these shows, you have the opportunity to participate in polls and join our live show, as I mentioned on Sunday, on Twitter Spaces. Thank you all for listening today. At this point, I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.